Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. Australopith, what's the news? Hey, fellow Australopith. Well, you probably heard the dinosaurs are extinct, right? I know, that's amazing. They were so big. What even happened? There are a lot of conspiracy theories. I heard they used vaccines that weren't safe. Right, right. What are vaccines? I have no idea. Maybe you noticed. I'm almost a monkey. How am I going to know about vaccines? I'm almost a monkey, too. Do you feel like getting something to eat? Yes, but not monkey. Right, yes, we definitely do not eat monkeys. But sometimes I could really go for some monkey, which is wrong. So wrong. You know, but sometimes you want some. Anyway, I I totally get that. You have something stuck in your teeth? Why didn't you say something earlier? It's uh, bamboo shoots. They always do that. A couple of days ago, I had nuts and berries and leaves, and I was up all night. Ugh, I hate when that happens. You know what doesn't give me agita? Monkey. Just a little bit of monkey. When it's chopped up real nice. You eat some monkey in a nice place, you don't get the agita. But it is wrong. We should not eat monkey. But it feels so right. You know what? Sometimes you gotta take a mental health day from evolution. Let's go have a monkey burger. We can get back to evolving tomorrow. Meanwhile, here are some people eating sky god knows what. And now the inventor of the garden weasel burger, Colin McEnroe. Yeah, so those two hominids at some particular place in uh, human evolution are trying to figure out whether they're carnivores, omnivores, or herbivores. And maybe uh, even now we're still trying to do that. You could could argue that anyway. Uh, As I was telling one of our guests, um, who I'm about to introduce, This all started kind of because I had extra buns hanging around my house. Uh, We had young people visiting in the summer, and then they went back to California, and I had, like, these hamburger buns. And I didn't want to buy any hamburgers, so I've eaten veggie burgers in the past, and so I just went to my grocer's freezer, as they say, uh, and bought a whole bunch of different brands of veggie burgers. And I sort of thought, why? They're not exactly what I want them to be. Why aren't they better? So that's one of the conversations we're going to have today. But first, we have to talk about why it is we, if we want to eat vegetables, want to eat them so that they're something like a hamburger. Uh, what's the whole psychology of that? So Chris Prosperi is uh, here with us. Wouldn't dream of doing the show without him. He's the chef and owner of Metro Beast Restaurant in Simsbury, a Hartford Current Recipe columnist, sometimes with my friend Linda Juca, and a contributor to WNPR's Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. Joining us by Skype uh, is Marta Zaraska, a freelance science journalist and contributor to many publications, including The Washington Post, Scientific American. She's the author of several books, including, very relevantly here, Meat Hooked, the, I'll say that again, Meat Hooked, the history and science of our 2.5 million year obsession with meat. So, uh, Chris, I'm going to start with you because, you know, um, no matter how ingenious people get about these veggie burgers and 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 Franken food burgers and all the kinds of things that we're. By the way, at the end of the show, Chris and I are going to eat some of these, uh, and you'll have the incredibly pleasant experience of listening to us eat them. There's some way in which we think of meat as central to a meal, right? You run restaurants; people walk in there. There may be some people who might want a 
homemade, chef-made, Chris Prosperi veggie burger. But most people think meat is the meal. Over 50% of our diners. And I, I don't think in just my restaurant, unless you're a fully vegetarian restaurant, I think that's pretty common. It's over 50% of us eat meat when we go out, whether it's chicken or beef, and we like it. Right. And so, um, Marta Zarasco, without walking us through the entire history of human evolution, um, it's, it's fair to say that one of the things that influenced our gravitation at one point towards vegetables and another point towards meat was sort of what's available. I mean, climate change even had something to do with this, correct? Yes, that's right. You know, two and a half million years ago, when our ancestors started eating meat, uh, this is what was happening in the African savanna. So basically, climate changed. Uh, it dried. It got hotter, and uh, the foods that were they were relying on, so lots of, for example, fruits became became less reliable. And um, so they were looking for sources of good nutrition, and meat was that source because it was full of calories, full of protein. And you know, the other foods our ancestors were eating were things like grasses, for example, or leaves. So things that were not caloric. They were not really thing your tummy very well um, so and they didn't have the options that we have today so uh, so meat was really good food for our ancestors and that's why we evolved to crave it because it was just so full of exactly calories protein minerals vitamins uh, something that nothing else could provide to our ancestors but back at the time so Chris we still crave meat uh, and it's hard to separate which parts of this are are genetically wired into us and which part of this are part of sort of psychology and ritual and our notion of what a meal is. Yeah, I don't know. I keep going back to the mouth-watering, mm-hmm. right? When you bite into a burger, your mouth starts to water. When you smell chicken on the barbecue, your mouth starts to water. That's got to be built in evolution, right? Because where is that coming from? We We have this thing where we like the smell, we like the taste, and we want to eat more and more and more of it. So, yeah, where does it come from? Well, Marta, one term that gets used is umami, this so-called fifth taste, right? But Marta, I'm not even sure we know for absolute certain where this umami, our umami receptors come from. No, actually we do. And we know that for sure that umami is a real taste and we do have receptors for it. But they have been very recently, quite recently uh, discovered. So we know that we do have them. And most likely what causes us to feel this umami taste is protein in foods. Uh, that's why um, actually meat is loaded with umami. Uh, and this is one of the reasons why we love it so much, precisely because it has a lot of the umami taste, which we evolved to crave because we evolved to look for protein in foods, just like we evolved to crave sugar and sweet things because they signified calories. So it's a very similar thing going on here. All right. So now we have to talk about the um, uh, sort of vegetable protein elephant in the room. There, there, uh, since, since the old days, like I used to eat a lot of veggie, veggie burgers in the 90s, and they've changed. There's new brands on the market. But Chris, there's now a new, new thing. It was something that we just, I didn't, I'd never heard of this stuff before. It was called the Impossible Foods, the Impossible Burger. You talk about frankenfoods. This really is kind of a frankenfood. This is a genetically modified creature, right, that looks, tastes, and, well, you've got, you've got it sitting on a plate right there. Take over. It, it, not, it not only looks like it, it smells like it, it tastes like it. But when I bit into it last night because we cooked a little bit of it to try, mm-hmm. my mouth started to water <laughs> like I was eating a hamburger. Not, and, and if you notice, your mouth really doesn't get too watery when you're eating a salad. It's, it does a little bit, but not in this way. And this really nailed it. It's kind of, I don't know, I keep using the word creepy. 
right? Mm -hmm. Because it is so close to meat, the way it feels, the way it tastes, the way it cooks, that I don't think you'd you'd even have to tell someone it wasn't meat. It's so close. So, yeah, there's sort of an uncanniness, but not about the experience itself. It's knowing what you know, that it's not real meat. So, Marta, this, this particular product is really the work of geneticists as opposed to chefs, correct? Uh, if you're talking about Impossible Burger's yes. uh, details, I, I actually have, cannot really tell, but I, I don't really know how much, you know, in uh, uh, the exact recipe for it, so I cannot really comment it. And I wouldn't, but I'm quite certain it's not the work of geneticists, really, because nobody, I mean, you know, you can probably get the same compounds without any genetic mo- mo- modification. So, but I, I cannot really comment for 100%. Yeah, I mean, we do know that one of the things, yeah, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, it, and no, she's, she's 100% right. So the reason they did do some genetic modifications on it was to make it more affordable, right? They found that protein in soybean roots. Mm-hmm. It's just to get the amount they needed to put in this burger to make it is what it, what it is sitting here on the plate was too costly. So they found a way of genetically modifying it onto a yeast protein so they could grow it quicker, faster, and cheaper. Um, and it actually does seem to involve something that sometimes is called a heme or, or leg hemoglobin, right, Chris? This yeah. is the thing that makes it almost seem to – I mean, one of the things that meat does is bleed. You can kind of simulate that with uh, with beets, which has done been done in other products. But this is something a little bit closer to – No, this one, like when you see when, – when they when we cook it later and you see when I cut it open and it bleeds, it bleeds. It's all, It's – I keep saying it. You you wouldn't know if I didn't tell you when I take this out of the pan and put it on a bun and you bite into it. You would not know that this was a veggie burger. So, Marta, you know, uh, as these products come out of the market, they if they're successful, they're successful because we want them. We we and we may need them. And, and the, one of the questions uh, that Chris and I were talking about before we went on the air is just in the same sense that our hominid ancestors switch their diets around because of the availability or lack of availability of certain things, you know, with a burgeoning world population and and meat being rather space-consuming and resource-consuming to produce, it, it could be argued that maybe we're eating our future right now, right? That this kind of product is something that there'll be a need for. Yeah, definitely. You know, when you think about it, that one single acre of legumes can give us, you know, even 20 times more protein than an acre devoted to producing beef, you know, this is enormous. And on the other hand, you know, if if actually we were very serious about uh, global warming, then uh, we should all go vegetarian tomorrow because uh, that would be equivalent in the emissions perspective, in the the greenhouse gas emissions to all the transportation disappearing from the earth. So as if we woke up tomorrow, there were no cars, no planes, no bike, no scooters, absolutely nothing. You know, we just let's go vegetarian and that's it. No, you know, th- this will be the same equivalent. But of course, it's very hard for us humans uh, to do so. You know, that's why we still haven't gone vegetarian because we are so hooked on meat. But this kind of products that are so similar and that offer not only the same flavors that we evolved to crave, but also, you know, uh, that look like meat and, uh, you know, make it easier to break our habits this way, uh, they can really, really help. Um, Marta, have you tried an Impossible Burger yet? I haven't tried Impossible Burger. I have tried a lot of amazing vegetarian burgers, but not that particular one. So, um, so Chris, uh, if people get very excited about this, uh, we have some bad news for them, right? At least here in the United States, you can't just walk into a store and get this remarkable thing. It's made; it's not made out of a meat product. There's no animal involved in this, but it looks 
and and tastes and smells and quacks uh, pretty much like a hamburger. Yeah, wheat protein, potato protein, coconut oil, which they've extracted the flavor of coconut out of, and then some vitamins, some seasoning, and the controversial thing, heme, and that's basically what's in that. And but the FDA has not. Fully, well, it, it's a complicated thing, right? They didn't have to get FDA approval, nope. but they sought something called GRAS, right? Generally rec- recognized as safe. Yeah, it's a very grass. It's grass. very, right? I don't yeah. know if I like that acronym. <laughs> I would hope all my food was grass. Right. Um, but yeah, they, did, they didn't get it. Um, they pulled their application for it, and they're working on, I guess, some testing on it to see if it is grass. Um, I guess it always comes back to me is, is it necessary right now? I mean, look at all the burgers we have on the table here. And we right. have, what, five different, six different, seven different brands. In, and in your testing, when you went to the Whole Foods or your local market freezer section, you didn't find any that were... No, they're fine. I, yeah. I eat them. I eat them. Yeah. Um, but so, Marta, if it's necessary, one of the reasons is, and I've seen you do a TED Talk where you bring this up, that you can tell people, well, you know, eating a very, very heavy meat diet really increases your risk of cancer. And that doesn't really, you know, the risk of cancer, it's like a lot of other things we're addicted to, telling somebody that there's a carcinogenic uh, capacity to this thing doesn't keep people from wanting it, right? They'd still want it. Yeah, that's right. You know, you know we are so hooked on, on meat for, you know, one thing, our, you know, taste buds that still don't understand that we are not uh, on African savanna two million years ago, you know, anymore. And uh, to, you know, to our, to the symbolism of meat and our habits and cultural habits, it's, it's, it's really, it's really, really strong. So, so those kind of products can really help. But you are right; there are plenty of other ones that's, uh, that are also amazing. And also here in Europe, there are some really, really great uh, products being done right now, including actual vegetarian steak uh, that was produced in the Netherlands. Um, and, and Chris, I mean, another thing that people are trying to do uh, is essentially grow meat in vitro. So this this isn't a veggie burger anymore. This is something closer to an animal product. You just didn't have to kill an animal to get there. Yeah, and I read a lot about it, and and again, it's it's way off in the future, right? Because it's really expensive. They're just starting, but I guess the question is: is in let's say a hundred years from now, are there labs producing cuts of meat for us? Does that make sense? Like we like the beef tenderloin. Are there shelves somewhere uh, growing? You know, with growing beef tenderloins for the market that are, I guess, cloned. Right. So, and Marta, that that is different. I, I don't know whether. I mean, right now, I think the problem is scalability. It costs twenty four hundred dollars to produce a pound uh, of of Memphis meats meatballs. But uh, Marta, as somebody who looks hard at this question, do you, do you see that kind of in vitro sort of lab grown meat as part of the solution? I mean, totally. And actually, it's not necessarily so much into the future. I have visited those labs. I've seen that meat grow and uh, I did smell it uh, being cooked. And uh, yes, it's true that uh, it's still very expensive, but the, the price is falling enormously. You know, and in, uh, the people who are working on it, they are saying, you know, even in 10 years, we can or even sooner, we can see it already in stores. This, this work is progressing enormously fast so um and this is not something like meat it actually is meat these are the same uh, muscle fibers uh, that we have in regular meat so uh it's it's just the same product just not grown inside the animal it's just grown outside of it so um so there there it is so and, and it can and can really really help because it's it's uh, as opposed to vegetable burgers this actually is meat 
Yeah, what are you, yeah. What are you to say? It, it goes to the bigger question, though, is, okay, so we started out as vegetarian bef- in our evolution. Then, you, you know, 200 million years ago or whatever, we started eating meat. Do we eventually transition into the other direction and become vegetarians again? Or is this something that's really part of us? Well, and I think a lot of this also, some of it's psychology, some of it's ethics, what we feel is ethical. Marta, I know you're, you're pretty much a vegetarian, uh, but I'm sensing a lot of that has to do with uh, the ethics of it. So would you be comfortable eating in vitro meat? Would that be something that you could live with ethically? I mean, I would love to eat it. You know, I still crave meat a lot. My taste but still didn't get the memo that, you know, we uh, this is not something the best for modern humans and that we have better, you know, better, uh, better foods. And I, I do crave bacon and so on. And uh, so if I had something that was grown without the environmental impacts uh, and uh, then I would be really glad to eat it. It's just, you know, it has to cost a little less than $18,000 per meatball for now. Right. And so, but Chris, I think the thing that you're getting at here and, and uh, well, actually, Marta, let, let me ask you this question first, and then, then I'll ask it to Chris. So when you visited these labs, again, there's that kind of uncanny problem, right, that things that seem like they shouldn't really exist are disturbing to us or things that to an uh, unusual degree resemble something else often disturb us. And that word uncanny comes up again and again. I mean, were you, Marta, I don't know, was it creepy looking at all this meat growing in laboratory conditions? No, actually, absolutely not. You know, this is the thing that many people don't understand. You know, we think that, for example, the so-called regular meat is produced, you know, the way we see in children's books, but it's not. You know, if you go to an industrial farm, this is really creepy, you know, how the how the meat is grown, how the animals are injected. And then also when you think about most food products in the store, most of them are coming from labs. You know, your yogurt came out of a lab. It's a lab-made yogurt because it started with food technicians uh, figuring out figuring out in labs how to make it the best. Your pasta probably came from from a lab, you know. And this meat, uh, this lab-grown meat, so our clean meat, it will also not be always in a lab. It's now in a lab phase because they are trying to figure out how to make it. Later on, it can be made, you know, even in some kind of home little uh, growing cubes or whatever, right? You know, so it's just, uh, it's like something resembling a beer brewery, actually. So, um, so it's only... Uh, only when we really concentrate and think about it, it's, it becomes, it looks like it's freaky. But as I said, most modern food, unless it's your own uh, carrot grown in your garden, is kind of made in a lab. Yeah, go ahead. I got, I got to throw in the human experience, though, because like eating this last night, this, uh, this, this uh, Impossible Burger, mm-hmm. uh, I got a sense of it being this perfect thing. Mm-hmm. And we're going to grow this meat in a lab, and it, and it becomes this perfect thing again. But the one thing about, like, getting a piece of meat or uh, going to a farm that raised this beef on this type of grass. And every time I cook a steak, it has a little different taste. It has these nuances that is part of the pleasure of eating. I guess my question is, is if it's grown in a lab like this burger kind of is, do we lose those nuances that make food so pleasurable? Yeah, we probably do, although I don't think that's the problem. I think, you know, just to go back to what Marta was saying, Chris, if you gave me 
um, a banana, or maybe a tomato would be a better example, some sliced up tomato, and you said, actually, this was made out of cow. I don't think that would bother me as much as this idea of this thing that really so closely resembles everything that I know meat to look like and, and feel like that's that's not meat. And I, you know, we did a whole show last week about Frankenstein, the whole legend of Frankenstein. And Chris, there's a way in which this, that's a tripwire inside us, this thing that seems to be flesh, but it's not, or that it's made. Yeah, but does that go away after time? I, I remember being told a story about if we wanted to have chicken for dinner 150 years ago, how did we get that chicken? Right. We had to go out back, kill the chicken, bring it in, defeather it, do all this stuff, and then we had chicken for dinner. If you would have told that person doing that 150 years ago, fast forward to today, and there's going to be this big box store that you walk into, and in the back of it is going to be this large trough-looking thing that's cold, and it's going to have a ton of already cleaned, prepared chicken for you. How would that person back then feel about how we buy our food today? Actually, Ralph Waldo Emerson <laughs> said even 150 years ago, he's, he wrote, yeah. we are placing the slaughterhouse too far from the dining room table. Uh, so uh, it was uh, it was clear even then. Okay, we're going to have to take a little break here. We're going to talk a little bit more about the history uh, of these products, uh, how they came into our lives. It was longer ago than you might guess, almost that 150 years ago. Uh, so Marta Zaraska, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, her books include Meat Hooked, The History and Science of Our 2.5 Million Year Obsession with Meat. Let's take a break and we'll come back. All right, we're back. We're talking about mock meat. We're talking about veggie burgers. We're talking about some of the more Franken-foody versions of what I would call fotein. Um, and so uh, here to help me is my friend Chris Prosperi, chief uh, chef and owner uh, of Metro Beast Restaurant in Simsbury, Hartford Current Recipe columnist with another friend of mine, Linda Juca, and contributor to WNPR's Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. Joining us now also is Dina Pritcha, uh, freelance print and radio journalist who has contributed to many sources, including NPR's Morning Edition. Her book, Kachka, a return to Russian cooking, will be released in November. Um, Chris, before we go to Dina, I mean, the one thing that we haven't really talked about here is a chef such as yourself doesn't have to go running to the grocer's freezer, does not have to go running around trying to find the impossible burger, this uh, genetically modified thing that has, that has something <laughs> resembling blood in it. You don't have to do any of that stuff. You can just make your own. I, when I first was polling people about this on Facebook, Various people would jump on talking about, you know, brand name products. And then every once in a while, someone would go, well, I make my own veggie burgers. And I think I thought, well, yeah, I don't want to do that. Um, but you do, right? You, you make a veggie burger. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of people do. And Betsy, I, and Betsy Kaplan makes veggie burgers. Veggie burger. And you can make them better at home right. than you can buy them. That's right. obvious because of packaging rules, right? And about shelf stability. So, I mean, making one, even though it is a little tedious, you definitely get a better product. And if you keep making it, you can hone it to what you like. 
right. in a veggie burger. And yes, and you can introduce ingredients that typically you wouldn't. Int- I was in um, London uh, in September. When was it? September? I think. And there was a place called Balls, mm-hmm. and it was like it was a place that only served things that were in the shape of balls, <laughs> meatballs. But one of the things they had was I think it was made out of quinoa, but it had um, it was an entirely vegetable mm-hmm. based simulated meatball, but it had like pomegranate seeds and feta yeah. cheese and stuff like that in it. And I thought, wow. Yeah. This is we pretty. get to experiment and play. Right. So um, now the interesting thing, you know, Chris was talking about 150 years ago. Well, as Dina Pritchup can tell you, 150 years ago, this conversation was already starting to unfold. Mock meat uh, was already on some tables. So here in the United States, even. So uh, Dina Pritchup, tell us about this. This this kind of goes back to that whole road to Wellville, late 19th century sense that people felt unhealthy and should be living differently somehow, right? Yeah, and I would say that people felt unhealthy because uh, they were unhealthy. <laughs> the the diet of the time was, you know, a lot of meat, a lot of meat that was cured meat or salted meat that was sort of cooked in fatty gravy. People drank a lot of alcohol. Um, indigestion was a bit was a big issue of the time. Right. In fact, um, uh, the Kellogg brothers uh, who started the cereal company, uh, I, I think one of them was particularly obsessed with the two great evils of mankind, uh, indigestion and masturbation, both of which they attempted to address <laughs> with cornflakes. Um, and so, so yeah, what you get is – and so, Dina, I'm sitting not too far from the home of Harriet Beecher Stowe. She was that kind mm-hmm. of person who would go to these retreats you know, and be wrapped in wet sheets and all this kind of stuff. And, and so part of some of these retreats was the introduction of meat that was, that was not meat. So tell, what kind of thing would that have been at that time, Dina? Yeah, so the, the mock meat that they served at the, the Battle Creek Sanitarium, and then they eventually began selling it in cans through mail order, uh, was developed in their food lab. And their sort of big uh, product was something called Protos. Mm. which was a combination of nuts and gluten, and they claimed it tasted like potted meat. I have not had this, although they did sell it up until about 2000, I think. Um, evidently, it does kind of just taste like nuts and gluten. <laughs> right. It was sold in cans, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you were at the sanitarium, you would be served it in the cafeteria. Um, this was sort of developed in their on-site food labs. Um, but they sold it all over the country in cans. Um, I had spoken with a historian of the Kellogg brothers who said at its height, uh, they sold about, they had about a million dollars in annual sales. Right. And and so we should say that the sanita- the san- that sanitarium in particular was attractive to, I don't know if Harriet Beecher Stowe went to that one, but we do know, you know, famous people uh, went to this sanitarium to get sort of uh, this kind of whole body cure, right? Oh, yeah. You know, you had Henry Ford, uh, President Harding, Johnny Weissmuller, you know the the original Tarzan, Amelia Earhart, Sojourner Truth. So, um, yeah. so we've got that. There's there's this kind of craze. Um, it was sort of like um, late nineteenth century Gwyneth Paltrow uh, stuff going on. <laughs> and and so um, now we're going to fast forward. I think most of us. I am a man of a certain age. Chris is, I think, a little bit younger than I am, but. My first introduction to this idea of a vegetable-based hamburger came in, I think, the 1970s or early 1980s. And the people who would introduce it to you were, let's just use the word, hippies, um, right? So, so, so hippies would say, try a garden burger, man. Try a Boca burger. It's really better for you. 
But do you know why? Was it branding? Was it simply the idea that somebody figured out, well, maybe you could actually have a company that makes money by branding this stuff? I mean, I think you're right. These are hippies. It comes out of, I don't think it's just a marketing ploy. I think it does come out of the natural foods movement and the counterculture movement, which were, you know, really big in the, in the late 70s and early 80s, whereas that sort of first wave of mock meats kind of came out of that um, the progressive era and the sort of scientific overhauling of, you know, everything from, you know, scientific charity, scientific cooking, scientific parenting, the sort of second wave of mock meats um, did come out of that natural foods movement. Right. So um, and so that was 70s and 80s. Chris, Mm -hmm. um, there was I think there was a recrudescence of the veggie burger in the 1990s. Is that when you began running into them? That's when I came on the scene as a chef and I worked in a place in Florida called the Unicorn that fed (laughs) macrobiotics, believe it or not. And we were immersed in what back then were the nine essential amino acids. It still holds true. And we had to make sure all our meals fed the the people those amino acids. Now, they're all found in meat, but, right, they're these meat substitute products, even the one I'm holding, which is called Smart Ground. This is another one just like the one you're talking about. Claim to have all these amino acids in them. And that's, I guess, one of the selling things about these things. Dina, and the initial problem in the 70s and 80s, and I think even the early 90s, uh, as I recall these things, is that, yes, they were disc-shaped, and you could (laughs) conceivably put them inside a bun, but they didn't really taste like much of anything. No, I mean, you look at a garden burger even today, and I don't think it was really trying to. I mean, you you can see the whole oats and, you know, various bits of vegetables in it. It's not... They're, you know, and when you look at the marketing of the time, they are saying, you know, it's a better, it's a good alternative. They're not saying mm, just like hamburger. Right. So now, Dina, we, we're sort of at this third wave. We talked a little bit about it mm-hmm. in the first segment. Um, we have these either there could be in vitro meats. There are some of these things like the Beyond Meat uh, stuff. And there's also the Impossible Burger, which we spoke of uh, early on. And we have some mm-hmm. Impossible Burger meat right here in the studio. But you, you yourself have, I believe, sampled the Impossible Burger. You know, I've had the... Um Beyond Burger, mm. the Impossible One, I believe, is the one that's only available in actual restaurants yes. right now. Mm-hmm. I have not had it, but it has just come to Portland in mm-hmm. the last few weeks, so um, I'm excited for it. Yeah, and so, but let me just ask you this: you you're a vegetarian, right? Uh pescatarian. Yeah. Pescatarian, yeah. So, uh, you know, one of the things we talked about beforehand, like the stuff is sitting here and it looks like meat, and it's kind of freaking us out. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if in fact you're trying to avoid meat, it's kind of weird to be eating stuff that looks so much like meat? Well, you know, people avoid meat for various different reasons. And, you know, when you look back, you know, talking about the history, if you go back to the vegetarian movements of the, you know, 1850s and 1860s, like when the um, American Vegetarian Society first started, they would not have wanted mock meat. Um, You know, the way Protos and Netos and those Battle Creek products advertise themselves as, you know, just like potted meat, that would have sort of been horrific to folks of that early era because it was more about a sort of a healthy body and avoiding this impurity of meat and you would not want this like something that seemed meaty whereas now i think you know people avoid meat because you know maybe there's probably less a concern of that sort of you know 1850s health reform movement coming out of early america and more you know somebody might want to avoid the environmental impact or avoid some issues of farming or whatever sort of 
ethical or ecological reasons, but, you know, they might still miss that sort of meaty taste and that sort of iron-rich feeling and that sort of, you know, not something that's a uh, continuous sort of hockey puck, but something that sort of has, you know, a firm cooked outside and a nice soft inside. Yeah, yeah maybe that is the new vegetarian because both vegetarians I work with on a daily basis said the same thing to me last night. I don't want my vegetarian food to look or taste like meat. I don't like meat. Right. So, <laughs> you know, one last thing that we, sh- we sh- should say about all this, Dina, is that, for example, so you're out on the West Coast. Uh, um, uh, I've been to restaurants that are run by Chinese Buddhists uh, in Chinatown in San Francisco where I basically think the entire experience of the poor people who run this restaurant is people sitting there going, I can't believe this. I can't believe that's that's not shrimp. It tastes exactly like shrimp. I can't believe that's not meat. I mean, there are other cultures that have gotten really, really good at this. This is true, and there's been tofu and there's been gluten products in Asian markets. You know, the first, you know, we were talking about the Battle Creek products that were sort of first advertised as mock meat, but it's not the first time that people have taken vegetarian proteins and sort of formed them into something that's got a little, you know, toothsome, meaty quality. Right. And I mean, Chris, my uh, significant other is away uh, right now in Los Angeles. And so the first thing I do when she leaves is I run over to Whole Foods and I get, I don't even know how to pronounce it, Satan? Satan. 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 Which I really like. Just like this stuff here. Yeah. I, yeah. Really, I really like it. I, there's a company here in Connecticut called The Bridge uh, that makes it. She thinks it looks like poop when you take it out of the <laughs> container and she won't have anything to do with it. It does I actually, look like that. It does. Uh, you know, I mean, that's unfortunate because yeah. it, it's, 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 it doesn't, it tastes fine and it's, mm-hmm. you make a stir fry out of it. And but see, people have that different uncanniness hurdle that they have to get over, right? Yeah, and that but that stuff is really good, and it really does mimic meat um, in a more what I think is in a more natural way than the Impossible Burger. I right? totally agree. I had it last night. Yeah. Uh, I had it stir fried last night, and it was yeah. delicious. I love it. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, we have to. We're, we're, what we're going to do now is we're first of all going to thank uh, Dina so much. Dina Pritchup, uh, freelance print and radio journalist. Her upcoming book is Kachka, A Return to Russian Cooking, which will be re- released in November. If you want me to just come and like tape my version of your title, Dina, I'd be happy to do that. I'm sure. All right. We'll talk about that. All right. We'll talk. Okay. <laughs> your people will call my people. All right. What we're going to do right now is uh, Betsy Kaplan is uh, out in the WNPR simulated kitchen warming up some of these veggie burgers. Chris and I are going to taste some of them and discuss them. We'd also love to hear from you. Our number is 860-275-7266. I'll give it out again on the other side of the break. Uh, About your own mock meat preferences, especially as regards the veggie burger itself. What is it that you eat? Give us a call, 860-275-7266. But I have to say that burger was an half bad. Today's show is made possible by Betsy Burgers. Look for the new Buffalo Blue Bunless Black Bean Betsy Burger in your grocer's freezer. The one at the store. I mean, don't go to your grocer's house. That would be really weird. Today's show is produced by Betsy Kaplan and me, Kion Wolf, with help from Amanda Faleo-Fish and our intern, Evan Sobel. Part of Bill Curry was played by Yule Gibbons. On tomorrow's show, new ideas about death practices in case all that meat kills you. And now, back to Colin. 
So I'm here with Chris Prosperi. We've got a whole bunch of burgers here. I uh, also want to especially thank uh, our intern. Uh, we're also going to make her uh, eat uh, tons of this kind of stuff, but thanks to uh, Ashley Taylor, uh, who's our intern today. And Betsy Kaplan's running in and out of here with various kinds of burgers. And we'd love to hear from you, and particularly if any of you have been to a restaurant, I'm being told that there are restaurants in this area where you can get the Impossible Burger. This is this genetically engineered uh, thing that is made out of vegetable proteins, but it looks so much, so uncannily like, oh, it has just arrived, and it's just here. I cut Would it you, open. You cut it open, and it does look like, it's. you know, I'm having a little problem with it. Looks like a hamburger, doesn't it? Looks like a hamburger. It's in the middle. And it looks like it's sort of spoiled by now. It's just been sitting around. It's that's a hamburger. Right. So anyway, if you've had an impossible burger, give us a call 860-275-7266. 860-275-7266. I should say we invited the impossible burger people to be on the show. I don't know, they just weren't. They're not, right? They're not. But they're I think they're watching some of our conversations on Twitter. <laughs> I think they jumped on here. Did you what did you just eat? I just went to the Bubba Burger. The Bubba Burger? Bubba Burger. That's the well, one right. You here. jumped ahead cuz we're supposed to have I jumped ahead. I'm having the Gardein. Gardein? Yeah. And I think if I put that, if I go down the street to McDonald's, I grab one of their regular hamburgers, and I take the little beef patty out, and I put it in there, put this Gardein in there, you wouldn't know the difference. I totally agree with you. Right? That is a Burger King or McDonald's hamburger. I totally agree with you. (laughs) What? Yeah. So that's something you could give to your kids. I'm sorry to be talking with my mouth full. Hold on. Um, Totally. Kids would eat this. Right. So- if you're a mom or a dad and your kids – and you don't want your kids eating so much beef and, and they like hamburgers, you could – this product is called Gardein, G-A-R-D-E-I-N, the ultimate beefless burger. There's no way they would know. No. That is a fast food burger right. made with just vegetables, some soy protein. Not not horrible. Mm-hmm. What did you think of Bubba? The Bubba burger is sort of the opposite, right? Yeah. The Bubba burger is just letting you know right away that it's got stuff in it. Yeah. It's peas, got peas and beans and stuff like carrots. that. I, I think it actually has a relatively good mm-hmm. taste to it, right? Yeah, and it holds together, right? right? That's what I like in a good veggie burger is that it doesn't crumble and fall apart. All right. Um, so give us a call. I particularly want to hear somebody who has tried uh, the Impossible Burger. We have it here. I'm frightened of it. Uh, I'm more frightened of it than I really expected to be, actually. I just, like, if I'd had total possession of it the entire time, I'd feel better, I think. But it's just like I don't even know where it's been or what's been going on with it. Um, all right. Here's a Marielle in Canton who can talk so I can eat something. All right. Hi, Marielle. You're on the air. Hi, guys. Um, I was so so excited to hear this amazing feature on the, uh, you know, the meatless alternatives. Um, I think it's super exciting that you guys are talking about it and trying it and I hope other people will do the same. Oh, well, um, do you have a particular uh, kind of product like this that you pr- prefer? Yeah, so um, I would love to try the Impossible Burger. I have not, mm-hmm. but I have tried the Beyond Burger, which is, yeah. I think, the other company that's really in big, comp- mm-hmm. like the yeah. the biggest competition, I guess, with the Impossible Burger. Um, and you can get those. You get those at Whole Foods, right? They have them. Um, are they like in the meat area? I haven't figured out where they are. Yeah, I haven't really either because every Whole Foods seems to kind of display them differently. Mm. I've seen them. Sometimes they have their completely own display. Mm. Sometimes they're kind of just thrown in there with the veggie burgers. Um, and Beyond actually has another product called the grilled chicken strip. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Um, Corby Cummer says those are good. Yeah, those are incredible. Um, and I actually, because I'm vegan, and the first time – that I tried those, I was 
I was so in shock that I kept I kept running back and forth to my freezer to check the ingredients because I honestly thought that I was eating chicken. Right. Like I haven't eaten chicken in ten years, and I I was so freaked out that I kept checking. Chris, Chris is trying to tell us something, yeah. but I don't Gar- know what it is. No, Gardein, it's the same. They have a sa- the yeah. same product as what you're talking about, and I think it's available at Whole Foods, too, is the mm-hmm. Gardein has a chicken cutlet that not only tastes like it, but it looks like it, too. And when you cut it, it actually tears a little bit like chicken breast, and you have to keep looking at the package going, there's got to be chicken in it. All right, so we have to do a quick discussion of things that we've yep. just eaten. So we agreed that the Gardein thing, you could sub it out for a McDonald's hamburger. Yep. Your kid wouldn't. No, we kind of like the Bubba Burger. It's like got a pleasant uh, you know, assortment of tastes kind of. And it's a real veggie burger. Real it's veggie got burger. Chunks of vegetables. Chunks of. In yeah, it. You can see yep. kidney beans and, and and green things. Now that thing. It's yeah, a garden burger. It's, that's terrible. Yeah, that is not my favorite. No, no, this, it's a garden burger, and it's like the Bubba burger. burger. It has yeah. beans in it, some corn. It looks like it has some sun-dried tomatoes. Not, not it. I've never actually eaten a Band-Aid, but I felt like I feel like a Band-Aid <laughs> yeah. would taste a little bit like that. Very rubbery, right? right? Well, right. You know, there's an actual kind of aftertaste or flavor that. It, 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 I, yeah, well, I, as I say, I've never eaten a Band-Aid. But. Boca, on the other hand, which is that's, a, really right, good. that's one of the older ones. Yeah. They've been around forever. And this is what? They're veg- roasted this vegetables? Is, this is the Boca Essentials line, yeah. roasted red roasted vegetables and red quinoa and with brown rice. That's actually really pretty good. Yeah. That, it, I mean, that it doesn't taste anything is, like a hamburger. Mm. But it, what it does taste like is good. And it does hold together. It has the chew. Right. Remember, that's one of the things we like right. about hamburgers, that chewiness. Right. It has the chewiness of it. All right. The next one is Dr. Prager. OK, let me say something about Dr. Prager. And then we're going to go to the phones, too. Jillian and Bill are waiting. Um, so Dr. Prager was a cardiologist, is a cardiologist, I think. And so the problem with the Dr. Pragers is, and I think this is a problem that can afflict this industry in general, is the crumble in the pan problem. Yeah. All right? If it's going to, you're going to call it a burger and you put it in a pan and you poke it with a spatula and falls it immediately apart. falls apart, yep. it's not a burger. I was shocked that I got it here in one piece. Right. Because so, it was crumbly as I was taking it out of the pan. I am going to uh, put Jillian on the air while I eat uh, one of the Dr. Prager things. So uh, Jillian from Simsbury, you're on the air. What do you have to say to us? Hi, thanks for taking my call. What's on your mind? Uh, I just wanted to comment and let people be aware of the fact that um, a processed food is still a processed food, so it's still really important to look at the ingredients on the package. Mm -hmm. I was a vegetarian for about seven years, almost a decade ago, and I recently tried a vegan diet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I lasted three weeks, and then I had a very bad reaction because one of the uh, replacement products was completely saturated in sodium. Mm. So I woke up the next morning and was so beyond bloated, I thought I was going to have to cut my wedding rings off. It was it was kind of scary, actually. Right. Um. So a whole food plant based diet is different than some of these replacement products because they try and compensate for flavor by adding lots and lots of salt and other kinds of uh, ingredients. So I just wanted people to be aware that if you're doing it for health reasons or if you have health conditions uh, like heart heart conditions, it's just it's important to check right. what the um, I think that's a great point. Look, really what you should be doing, Chris, is throw a few Brussels sprouts and some golden beets and some onions <laughs> in a roasting pan and sprinkle a little kosher, kosher salt over it and eat that. But like just a lot of times we just either don't have time or that's not what we want. Or read the back of the package. You know, she's right. There are some that are good. The Gardein is a good example of one that's pretty wholesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as I was reading through, not, and again, I wanted to just get a, a smattering of them. Right. So some are a little healthier than others. Some have more chemically preservers and, and some are more natural. But yeah, there's definitely 
there's one for everyone out there. Right. So probably the better they taste, the more like salt and stuff they have in them. <laughs> All right. So here's Tracy. We have she have an uh, Impossible Burger uh, test pilot. Uh, here's the fearless Tracy in Manchester. So tell us your experience, Tracy. Um, I've had three different. I've had three Impossible Burgers at a restaurant that um, I'm not sure I'm allowed to say the name. Oh, go ahead. But, um, it Max's mm-hmm. in Avon, Maximia. So the first time I had it, they cooked it well done. It was it was actually delicious. The second time I had some red in the middle, but the outside was charcoaly, so it had that nice taste of a burger. Right. And the third one I had yesterday, and it was not cooked inside. It was it looked like a very very rare burger, mm-hmm. and it was mushy and it was horrible, and it didn't do much for my intestines later. <laughs> so. <laughs> My, in my opinion, it has to be cooked. It has but to be it cooked. Does taste now you tell us. Exactly like a burger. Right. Where d- you almost have to look at the menu and make sure you ordered the right thing. If it, it's delicious if it's done the right way. Tracy, I have to interrupt you for a second. What the hell did you just give me? That one was, where is it? That one was the Santa Fe burger. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, that one didn't score very high. That's at all. from Sweet Earth? Yeah. Yeah, oh and again, but like I you almost said had earlier, to sort of Tracy, I had to like almost get this out of my mouth. I it was like Tom Hanks in Big. Remember in uh, Big, where Tom Hanks goes to the reception and he eats some caviar or something like that. He's trying to scrape it off of his tongue. This is one of the more wholesome ones. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Sorry. <Yeah. laughs> so I just want to go back to your intestines for a second, Tracy. I don't really literally want to go back to your intestines, <laughs> but so you're saying that if it's not cooked enough, it's sort of there's something yeah. that unsettled you anyway. Yes, that's a good way to put it. Yes. All but right. That could if be it's the cooked, fully cooked, it's delicious. It tastes wonderful. So if you like it kind of on the well-done side yeah. or done side, it's tell, tell your server. unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Acquaint your yeah, server so, with, your, with your preferences. All right. Yeah. They, in other words, rarely can you get a, a garden burger or some kind of um, vegetable burger where you can say, can I have it rare? Right. I mean, you really can't. But if you have it rare, it, it really looks like a a bloody burger. Right. So, uh, but okay. my recommendation is to cook it. I'm going to eat another thing, although my trust factor with Chris has gone way down since that <laughs> Santa Fe burger. I, I, there's some. There's two things that we've eaten so far that are nasty. Yeah. They're just like I like veggie burgers. I eat a lot of veggie burgers, but there's two things that we've had so far that are nasty. Agreed. All right. Here's a Bill from Woodbury. Uh, you can talk while I eat. Hi, Bill. You're on the air. Hi, and thank you for uh, welcoming my call. I think this uh, program is really savory. Excuse mm-hmm. the pun, but. Uh, I wanted to say also that we have an identity crisis in all foods today, uh, gluten-free, all these things are being labeled. And it isn't necessary to try and simulate a burger for reason of duplication so much as it is to emphasize that variety truly is the spice of life. I had a role in product development and marketing for a large natural food manufacturer and we, uh, I, I was primarily responsible for introducing quinoa back in the early to mid '80s, and it was you. Fit, pardon me. It was you. You did it. Uh, I was one of the people that introduced it, but mm. there, there was a, a woman named Rebecca Thurwood that wrote the quinoa cookbook, and she was uh, very much in the formation, uh, as were uh, Brother Ron Pekarsky, who. Uh, as a Franciscan, won a competition in Frankfurt, Germany, for a all-vegan beef Wellington. Wow! She made 
which he made from Satan. I'm not sure I get the Franciscan connection, but I'll take your word for it. All right. So we're eating the Impossible Burger right now, and this so, is weird. What do you think? It is It is Creepy. really, yeah, it's creepily like a hamburger. It is. It has the mouthfeel. It has the umami. It has the look because you eat with your eyes too, right? Mm-hmm. So as soon as you look and you cut it open, you see the rare. You see the juices come out of it, the mm-hmm. blood come out of it basically. Um, and then you put it in your mouth and your mouth starts watering. It it's has true. the chew of meat. It does have the chew. And that's that's a complicated thing too because mm-hmm. in a way, there's a lot of things about meat. Like I tend to, as you may have noticed when I come to your restaurant, like <laughs> slow-cooked things because mm-hmm. I, I like to break down some of the – sinewiness or whatever. Like, I, I like things that are, that are slow. I'm not really necessarily looking for, like, super, yeah, like, star, you, you just yeah, mind sawing away yeah. at something. <laughs> so, like, I don't need that in a veggie burger, but I know what you mean here. Like, a hamburger just sort of... Has a bite to it, kind of, a chew to it. And this one, I just, I mean, tell me that's not a hamburger. No, there's, uh, absolutely, if, you, if we serve this to you and didn't tell you a thing about it, I don't think you would raise an eyebrow at the idea that it was a hamburger, right? Right. You'd actually think it was a pretty good hamburger, too. It has, and I said this to a few people already today, it has everything that you say I love about a hamburger. Mm-hmm. This one was engineered to have that exact thing, but almost times five, right? right? My mouth is watering a lot more than it does when I eat a really good burger. I'm feeling that chewiness, that umami, a lot more than when I have a really good burger. It's almost too good. <laughs> It is almost too good. All right. So, yeah, I know I, I would agree. I mean, I, we should say one thing, which is if you're going to eat like real burger and I mean, I know it's more expensive and stuff like that. So the trick is don't eat as much meat. Um, buy really good meat when you can do it. I, if I'm going to eat burger, I'll buy it from Four Mile River Farm and Old Lime or, you know, someplace like that. Um, I usually if I'm going to eat burger, I usually know the guy who raised the cattle, you know, and I mean – Chris, I think you would agree. The idea is not to stop eating meat, at least for some people, but to eat a little less meat. Lot, a lot less. And I, ha- I have a recipe I did the other day, and I took ground beef and I cut it by 30 percent and I added chopped vegetables. There's a good way to still get meat, eat less, and throw in some veggies. All right. So we've eaten all this stuff. We're still alive for now. <laughs> I don't know vegetables can kill you anyway. What am I worrying about? See, they've got me thinking the wrong way about this. Thanks to everybody who helped out, especially my friend Chris Prosperi. And we will be back tomorrow with death practices, which is not necessarily a linear progression from this. Kyle, this veggie burger is so good. How did you do it? Thank you, Pants. The burger part is made out of black beans, Diced onions, there's some garlic in there, and seasonings, and uh, cornmeal, too. And um, the buns, they're just made out of meat.